Navigating the governance of transboundary waters is murky water. Welcome to our podcast. Um, we are a group of four students from the Geneva Graduate Institute working alongside IUCN on an applied research project that tries to understand why such waters are murky and what could be done about it. Our team, Samantha, Jungsu, Mathilde and myself, Aloise, met with four experts more specifically to try to understand the place of gender in the governance of shared basins. So our team sat with Dr. Leila Harris, who is a professor at the Institute for Resources, Environment and Sustainability and the Institute for Gender, Race, Sexuality and Social Justice at the University of British Columbia. We also talked to Camille Flore Senjong, who was in charge of IUCN's program in Lake Chad and worked for IUCN for 17 years. And she also worked extensively with the Basin Commission. We also met with Lesha Whitmer, who is a member of the steering committee member at Women for Water Partnership. And finally, with Maria Laura Pineros, a bridge coordinator, which is the Building River Dialogue and Governance Program for IUCN South America. And we asked them a couple of questions. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you're all experts in the field um, with different angles, but just before we dive in, Um, could you help us and help our listeners to wrap our heads around what transboundary water governance is and what exactly is at stake? It's this type of management which engage all stakeholders, all users around the, the water resources in a related basin. Yeah, so I think it signals anything where because of jurisdictional and governments, uh, governance territorial delimitations, there are particular challenges in terms of managing and governing water. Now we will go into deep dives on our main topic, gender and transboundary water. We'd like to ask all of you how you see the place of gender in transboundary water, especially what does it mean considering gender in the shared waters, and why does it matter when we talk about transboundary water governance? What is gender, in your own words? Ah, uh, yeah, it's not so simple. <laughs> <laughs> But in, in, in general, it is, it is what, it's the roles that people perceive, allocate um, to men, to women, to transgenders, to girls, to boys, doesn't matter. But what their society thinks Um, the role of that group is or should be. Gender means women, gender means Asian people, gender means young people, uh, gender means poor people. For me, it means people who need to get their voices supported to be heard and also be taken into account in transboundary water agreements. Like, well, gender is related to women, So it's, uh, and especially in the, in the Lake Chad Basin where uh, Bridge was implementing, or implemented, women are big users of water resources. In that area, you are, you are women, they need water for their, uh, for their day-to-day work in the, in the house. So they are the one going to fetch water Uh, they need, uh, you have women practicing agriculture, you also have women uh, doing fishing or, or, or 
was selling fish that, uh, that harvested by the husband or that they have to buy to sell for their um, subsistence. Yes, for me, gender related, it is related to involvement of women in the water resources management because in the with the experience we've realized that women are not always considered and uh, in the water resources management you don't see them sitting to discuss for the for decision making concerning the, the, the water resources they don't really participate they don't participate to the decision making concerning the water resources that they need for their for their subsistence there is a disconnect to between the people who are in those formal positions mainly men um, and the people who are actually doing the work on the ground um, mainly women who do not get recognized for it more broadly at sort of government to government interactions which are also key to transboundary water governance we know for instance that women are often less off, less often in decision-making roles. So there would be other things and issues around transboundary water governance, depending on the scales of interest and how they interact. Yeah, that's very interesting. And you talk about indigenous people and indigenous way of uh, like considering water. And I feel often when we talk about gender, we, we often come to talk about indigenous people or about other groups of people. And that's often, uh, that's linked with, a main concept for us in our research and in this, it's intersectionality. So um, what does intersectionality mean to you? Yeah, so as I tried to allude to earlier, to me, a lot of thinking and work from feminist philosophers and uh, gender theorists has really opened up and allowed us to critically think through that it's not just about male, female, or masculinity and femininity but those are always intersecting in really complex and important ways with other dynamics of inequality and difference. So caste, class, race, indigeneity, and a host of other issues. So it's to say that we can't do a nuanced or thoughtful gender analysis without attending to how different women are affected differently, you know, given um, socioeconomic or racial dynamics or other things. So there's, it's always at once, uh, never just limited to gender. We always have to think about the complex intersections. And in my mind, again, a gender analysis is one dimension of a broader intersectional analysis, as you say, which necessarily attends to those all those other dynamics and how they come bring to bear differences, both in terms of notions of masculinity and femininity or men and women's experience, um, but also, you know, how those other dynamics and intersections become really critically important at different moments, often in times that where gender is not foregrounded. Um, so maybe gender is just one of many interacting dimensions that we might want to think about if we care about equity and inequity or water justice. We can say it's it, it brings together one or two of the vulnerable group ticks you, you might check. This year, we have also involved youth. Uh, for the transboundary water governance to be effective, it should be gender inclusive, and uh, 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 and it should take into consideration 
culture of the area? Yeah, so I look at uh, gender dynamics in a range of ways. So it could be anything from how uh, women, men, or non-binary people are affected by a change or consideration. It could be around notions of masculinity and femininity and how they impinge on water use, access, or governance. Um, and to me, gender also signals a broader set of relationships around inequities. So, you know, bringing in more intersectional concerns around indigeneity, impoverishment, race, class, caste, and so forth. So gender, uh, there are many different dimensions and levels at which I like to think about gender dynamics and the types of analysis it invites for further investigation beyond uh, gendered notions. Thank you so much, everyone, for sharing your insights, which are very interesting to us and our audience. We learned about what gender means in transboundary water governance. We also talked about intersectionality, why involving diverse groups, not only women, but also indigenous and other vulnerable groups matter in transboundary water governance. As our last question, we'd like to hear more about the future of transboundary water governance for Blue Peace. How we can make transboundary water governance more inclusive and more resilient to eventually sustain peace and promote cooperation around the shared water basins. I think water cuts across all of our 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 well-being, and I think water is scarcer or more scarce every day. Uh, not only because of climate change, which already poses a, a great deal of pressure on, on, on the water cycle, changing the patterns of, of rainstorms and, and making droughts even, even longer and, and long-lasting and, and, and more frequent and more, um, with more impact. So climate change makes water less available, but also people make water less available because we take water out of the system to, to irrigate our crops. We take water out of the system to drink and we, we get it back to the system polluted, which means water is less available for people downstream. Uh, so water is scarce and we need to think about, about it like a scarce resource, a non-renewable re resource. Um, and therefore, we need to start talking about how are we going to manage this limited yet vital resource. So um, you can see in, in, in the conflict maps that through the years, water-related conflicts have doubled in the past century. In transboundary water management, unfortunately, people tend to look at their national policy and not at the, the joint transboundary policy. And that's something we need to change. This is regardless of, of gender. Um, I mean, people need to talk to each other. And if we can't get that done, then we will stay in trouble. But that also means that you have to shift the debate from the capital or the headquarters of the river basin organization to the communities of the people who actually live there and, and involve them, ask them, 
what is it that you would like us to do? Two things which are broad processes that might be important to think about how do we get towards more inclusive governance. Um, one is just sort of building processes that are not just consultation and then we're going to decide what we want to do anyway, but having more collaborative fora where you enable local communities to chart a path. So for instance, watershed plans that maybe have a 50 year time frame that all new policies or permitting of uses of lands near waters or mining or other things would happen only in ways that are consistent with community watershed plans. So that's something we're doing more and more of, and there's increasing examples of. Um, another example that I just gave is a co-governance example where you actually put key people from communities, especially indigenous or other communities in leadership positions, recognizing their um, ways in which they can help influence the future of the waterways in ways that also serve those community needs. Um, another example that is, it's a little bit more particular, but I think it's interesting is we often ask people to come to the table and to be participants. And, you know, we might create a space where people are expected to come and engage, but the step from having people be present, you know, especially women or marginalized community and having them be meaningfully engaged and have their inputs be heard, respected and listened to is a really critical step. And there are things that you can do to sort of support that process. So if someone speaks up, they're not further marginalized or they're not uh, diminished because they don't have a formal degree, for instance, as an engineer. So there are things that you can build in in terms of processes um, and supports so that people you know, are more confident speaking up or, you know, more able to deal with the consequences if what they say is not received very well in those forests. It's not just about asking people how do they feel about something or what do they think about something. It's how that something shapes our decisions, shapes our agreements. How do we respond? How do we respond to those demands with the legal framework we are building? So it's not just making these forums and, and, and making people talk about the issue and then uh, we keep thinking that we know better and the things that they are asking are not supposed to, to be taken into account or, or, or are not important enough. We need to start integrating those concerns into the agreements we are building. It is fair to say that it seems like the future of transboundary waters really depend on how inclusive their governance is. What seems to stand out from these discussions is the understanding that shared rivers and basins are areas where there is a lot at stake, both in terms of human livelihoods and of ecosystem stability. These are places that must be better understood and better managed, particularly as climate change and weather conditions continue to grow harsher. We've come to understand that intersectionality as a tool allows us to see the interactions that affect an individual, whether this includes gender, caste, sex, race, class, sexuality, religion, disability, physical appearance, location, or many other identities. Intersectionality makes us better suited to see the ways in which people's social identities can overlap, creating compounding experiences of discrimination. As a concluding thought, Mariloa emphasizes the need to discuss water. 
if we can agree on 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 water on, on how we manage water we will agree on how we manage agriculture on how we manage energy on how we manage uh, even health uh, so blue peace is a very interesting concept because uh, talking about water governance uh, getting these agreements in place getting getting these these discussions ongoing these working tables these round tables these experts saying how are we going to manage the few water we have left will make us agree on, on everything else. So I think it is um, it is very important, it is crucial to start talking about water governance. Thank you so much, Marilora, Camille, Leah, and Lisha, for taking the time to have this incredibly insightful discussion with us. We would also like to thank IUCN for their massive support of the Blue Peace team and our research. Lastly, we would like to thank you, our listener, for tuning in. If you'd like to read our full report, please do not hesitate to contact the Blue Peace team at capstone2021.bluepeace at graduateinstitute.ch. Thank you so much. <laughs>